The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This evening we'd like to open back to the Gospel of John. We'd like to go to John chapter 6. And during previous messages, we have considered the first portion of John chapter 6, which is the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. And this evening, we want to consider Jesus Christ walking on the water. Another one of those momentous miracles that are highlighted in the Gospel of John. So right here in John chapter 6, in the aftermath of the feeding of the 5,000, and, and let's not forget that these disciples had just witnessed that. We tried to emphasize their unbelief and then the Lord blessing them to disperse that miraculous multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, and they even took back a basket each as a reminder of that. But <clears throat> the disciples are just like us as disciples, right? They're very forgetful. And we forget very quickly about the Lord's past blessings in our life. So this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. And they should have really been walking by faith right there, right? Right in the aftermath of the feeding of the 5,000. But we find that they are just like us, and they uh, struggle even in the aftermath of situations and times that should embolden our faith. <clears throat> so, pick up here in John chapter 6 and in verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. <clears throat> so, the feeding of the 5,000 at the beginning of this chapter, in the aftermath of that, Jesus walks on the water. This is also found in Matthew chapter 14 and in Mark chapter 6, and we primarily want to look at this from Matthew chapter 14 this evening. One of the main reasons we want to look at Matthew's account primarily is because Matthew has an additional addendum to this story, which is not just Jesus walking on the water, but Peter walking on the water, at least for a little bit. And took, <clears throat> until he took his eyes off Jesus, right? So 
Jesus commands his disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee. He's going to remove himself because the people wanted to take him by force and to make him a king. So Jesus removes himself up to a mountain alone, and he tells the disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is maybe maybe about eight miles wide, and when you consider that they rode uh, 20 or 30 when you consider they rode 25 or 30 furlongs, you know, maybe about three miles. Uh, it describes this as being the fourth watch of the night. So this is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And they've been rowing all night. And this is right in the middle of this, but they're right in the middle of the sea, right? So they're, they're almost kind of halfway there. <clears throat> they've had a very busy day, right? in the feeding of the 5,000. And now it's, it's evening and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee in the evening. And then this great tempest comes, this, this great wind that is contrary to them. This wind is contrary to them. And they, they toil in this rowing. And that, that word toiling that we find in Mark's account literally describes a torture. It, it, it was, uh, not just difficult, that they were being tortured, so to say, with the difficulty of this rowing. And this is, once again, a great reminder that just because we are encountering difficulty, just because we are having storms on the sea of life does not mean that we're living in disobedience. We can be walking perfectly in the will of God, but that season of life may be a, a storm, in the midst of our life, but just because the the sea is raging in our life, so to say, does not mean we're walking contrary to the will of God or the Word of God. But what's important is not that there's no storms, but that Jesus Christ is, by the end of this, walk, there with us in the boat, or we're walking on the water with Him in the midst of that. The same thing that uh, we'll, we'll get to this when uh, Peter begins to walk on the water, but the same thing that they become afraid of that would overcome them is what they triumph over and what Peter triumphs over and walks on, right? So the same storm that seems to be overwhelming in our life when our eyes are on, on Jesus through faith, we can overcome the same thing that would overcome us, right? So Jesus, don't miss the point, that he commanded them to go over to the other side. And if Jesus commanded them to do that, then that is a security of safe passage, right? So they don't have to be afraid that they're going to be capsized or killed in the middle of the Sea of Galilee because Jesus has commanded them to go over to the other side. And as we should reason by faith, that's how they should have reasoned by faith in the midst of this. God told us, Jesus Christ told us that we're going over to the other side. And even if the storm looks bad, then we don't need to be afraid that the Lord is going to forsake us. So we'd like to go... <clears throat> To Matthew chapter 14. We like to look at Matthew's account of this. <clears throat> and this begins here in Matthew chapter 14 and in verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples 
to get into a ship to go before him on the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So he constrained them, he compelled them to take the ship to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus Christ departs into a mountain apart to pray. In verse 24, the ship was now in the midst of the sea and tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. So they've had a long day, right? They've had a long, busy day feeding the 5,000 men, probably 8, 10, 12,000 people total, even beyond the 5,000 men, they had a busy day and they should have had a reminder, right? You remember they took home uh, a, a basket each as a reminder of their previous unbelief. Well, now the Lord tells them to go over to the other side, but rarely do we make really great sound decisions between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., right? <laughs> Especially if we've been up all day. We've had a busy day and clearly they didn't get any sleep and... This is taking them a lot longer to row this uh, passage over the Sea of Galilee than it normally would because of this tempest that, it's a that occurs in the midst of the sea. So in the fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m., and they're all exhausted, right? They've had such a, such a laborious day, a busy day, and now it's sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and they see the appearance of what they think is a spirit walking on the water, and they cry out in fear. I want you to notice the consistent theme here of fear and what fear does. Fear that begins with doubt. Doubt grows into fear, and when fear grows, when fear grows unchecked, it will quench our faith, okay? So they're afraid. Hey, I'd probably be afraid too, right? 3 a.m., I'm seeing in the midst of this crazy tempest, and I'm seeing something that I should not be seeing with my natural eye, right? I'm seeing what appears to be a man, and I, I think it must be a spirit because it can't be a man walking on the water. And they cry out with fear. They cry out with fear. But Jesus tells them here, what's, what's the response? What's the response from Jesus to his disciples that are in the midst of the following the command of God, in the midst of the will of God, they're toiling in the midst of them uh, trying to cross the Sea of Galilee, and they're afraid. What, what is the testimony of Jesus Christ as he's walking on the water to his disciples that are in this exhausted condition and crying out for fear? He tells them, be of good cheer. <laughs> Wow, what, what a uh, almost sarcastic uh, admonition. Be of good cheer. Why? Why? Why should we be of good cheer? It is I. Be not afraid. And that word, it is I, the Greek there literally can be rendered I am. So what he's telling them there as he's walking on the sea and he speaks to the disciples that are in the boat, he's saying, I am. Going all the way back to the book of Exodus, all the way back to the, the testimony of Jehovah God in the Old Testament, I am the I am that I am. 
And that I am is a very consistent theme all throughout the Gospel of John, isn't it? All those I am statements. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. All those I am statements that are very significant in the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ literally says, I am. And it's translated in our American English as it is I. I am. So, so be reminded of who I am, right? And that is the main reason that we can be of good cheer even in the midst of the greatest tempest in our life, right? Is because God is God, right? Psalm 46 and verse 10, be still and know. Be still and know what? That I am God, right? Be still and know that the I am is the I am. The I am that I am. And that should give us cheer, even in the midst of the tempest. And also, it should quench our fear and embolden our faith. Okay? Now, before we go any further uh, there and look at uh, Peter's brief encounter of walking on the water, I want to go to, um, we find in Mark chapter 6, this account of Jesus walking on the water. But before that, though, before that, in Mark chapter 4, we have another tempest in the midst of the sea, but this time Jesus is there in the boat with them to to begin with. So this is just a few chapters before. Obviously, we don't have a timeline. We don't know exactly how long this was, but this is not the first time. Don't miss the point. This is not the first time that these disciples and at least four of them were very skilled men of the sea, being fishermen, right? So they're not gonna, they should not have got nervous very quickly. They should have been used to the uh, the bad weather on the, on the sea and, and particularly the bad weather on the Sea of Galilee. So they're seasoned, they should not have been afraid, just, from their own natural dispositions, at least four of the disciples. But furthermore, in an earlier account, they they also had a tremendous tempest and Jesus stilled that storm. So they should have been reminded of that, right? They should have been reminded that God was with us. Jesus was with us the first time, and we don't need to be concerned about the second time. So let's look at that first account. And remember, this this account happened before Jesus walked on the water. This account is in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, previous to Jesus walking on the water in Mark's account in Mark chapter 6, two chapters later. So Mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, let us pass over to the other side. Again, remember, he makes a positive command that we're going to pass over. And that's what they need to be reminded of. They need to be reminded of the promise of God, the word of God when the storms come. And boy, that's how, that's what we have to have as our bedrock foundation, right? We have to go back to those bedrock, unchanging promises of God in the midst of the storms of life that are inevitably going to come in our life. So he tells them, let them, let us pass over to the other side. 
and he sends them away. There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat on the ship, so it was now full, starting to fill up with water here. But Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Lord, you don't even care about us anymore. You're just going to let us die. You're going to let us die here in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus stands up here in this instance, and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. Right? He's the sovereign over the sea. To say, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But notice this statement that he makes after that. Why are you so fearful? Why is it that you have no faith? Why is it that you have no faith? Now, Jesus, in this instance, is in the boat with them. He's asleep, great tempest. They wake him up. And he says, peace be still. Now, as a reminder, as a, as a reminder for you, just because Jesus is in the boat with you does not always mean it's always going to be happiness and ease of life externally. Okay? And he doesn't always, Jesus doesn't always immediately say, peace be still. Sometimes we have to encounter those storms of life, trusting him in faith. But when he says, peace be still, <laughs> there's a great calm that happens immediately, right? But God does not always say, peace be still, immediately when we're encountering storms of life, when we're encountering difficulty. But I want you to notice this connection here. This connection here between doubt and fear that grows and grows and grows and leads to a quenching of faith, okay? So he says here, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? No faith. Now, these men were the disciples of Christ, the apostles. Obviously, they were born again, right? All except for maybe Judas, but that's a, that's a different discussion for a different day, right? But these were born again men. These were born-again men that clearly walked by faith, that exhibited faith in God. But he tells them, here, you have no faith. You have no faith. Now, did they lose the integrity of the new birth in their heart? Well, obviously not, right? In the book of James, it describes a dead faith, a vain faith, an empty faith. He says, look, if you say you have faith, there should be works of love. Faith worketh by love. That's what we find in Galatians chapter 5. Faith worketh by love. So there should be works of love that publicly manifest the faith that you have residing in your heart. But if there's not actions of love being exhibited publicly, then your faith is dead. That's what he says in James chapter 2. Your faith is vain. It's empty. It's dead if there's not works to back that up. And here we find that they are walking with no faith, right? They're not placing confidence in Jesus Christ. He says in another place, why are you so fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. Well, it wasn't just that it was little. It was gone in that moment. Now, but notice why. Why was it gone? Because they became afraid. They became afraid of the fear of death, 
They became afraid of the fear of the unknown. They didn't know what was going to happen. The situation seemed to be too great for them. And but that fear, but notice that fear, not only did it quench faith, but it made them question the love of God, right? The, the caring nature of Jesus Christ. Master, carest thou not that we perish? This, this doubt had risen up and it had led to fear. And now this fear was making them doubt, Jesus, do you really even care about us? Boy, I tell you, fear is a dangerous thing if it's left unchecked. And notice how it quenches faith. That doubt grew and that fear grew. And notice what happened by the end of it. They were walking in this instance with no faith. They were not placing their faith in Jesus Christ. They felt like Jesus had abandoned them. And it made them, that fear made them doubt that Jesus even cared for them. And he makes the great calm here, peace be still. And then they feared exceedingly, verse 41. I think that's a different kind of fear. I think that's the reverential awe of Jesus Christ, not the spirit of fear. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God's not giving you the spirit of fear, of natural fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So this fear that they exhibited in verse 41 is the fear of God, right? The fear of him as the Son of God, not this natural fear that leads to torment. Remember that from 1 John chapter 4? Fear has torment, but what casts out fear? What casts out torment? The torment of fear. Perfect love casts out the torment of fear, right? So in this earlier instance, they've already had an instance where there's been a great tempest on the sea and their faith was tested and it failed in this moment. They had no faith. They didn't trust Jesus. But Jesus stands up in spite of their lack of faith. Don't miss that point, right? People always want to emphasize faith here in uh, modern Christianity, and your faith has got to hold out to the end. And if your faith doesn't hold out to the end, then either you lose your salvation or you were never saved to start with. Well, here in this instance, their faith failed, right? They had no faith. But what did Jesus do in the midst of a situation where their faith had failed? What did he do? He still stood up and said, peace be still, right? He still blessed them in the midst of a situation where their faith failed. Now, they should have learned from this, right? They should have learned from this, just like we should learn uh, from our instances where the Lord blesses us uh, in times past. Those should build up where we glory in tribulations. This is Romans chapter five formula for hope, right? We glory in tribulations because tribulations builds patience and then patience experience and experience hope. So they should have looked back on that previous experience and say, well, you know what? There was a time not that long ago that we were on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus Christ stilled the waves. But they didn't look back on that. Why? because they got afraid. And when we get afraid, when fear grows and just chokes us out and leads to fear and creates torment, I'll tell you, our faith is quenched so, so quickly. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. So now Jesus has told them, I am, it is I, be not afraid. 
makes the positive command that you need to quench your fear. And Peter was one of those who was afraid just a minute ago, <laughs> but now he's so emboldened with faith. His faith is, uh, his fear is quenched for just a minute. He's so emboldened with faith that Peter says, Lord, if, if it be thou, now he wasn't fully convinced, right? <laughs> if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Lord, if it's really you. You see, he had faith, but it wasn't a perfect faith. It was still doubting a little bit. Lord, if it's really you, bid me come unto thee. And then Jesus says, come. And then when Peter was come out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Gee, uh, Peter was walking on the water, that same water that they were afraid that they, that would overcome them, that they would be drowned by, is, this, is the same thing now that he's walking on the top of, right? And boy, I'll tell you what, if you are placing your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're looking at Jesus Christ and not at the storm, the same thing that you think can overwhelm you and consume you and that storm that will, will overpower you or you feel like will overpower you in your life, you will walk and triumph over that through faith in Jesus Christ. If you, if, if you keep your eyes on the Son of God. Remember what we're told in Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 3, when you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. When you go through the rivers, they, they are not going to overflow you. Why are they not going to overflow you? Because I am with thee, right? He gives you that same promise. I am, uh, Isaiah 41 verse 10, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So what's what's our admonition of faith? It's to look to Jesus as the I am, the it is I, right? And, and that should quench our fear. I am, it is I, be not afraid. That should quench our fear. And it did for Peter for just a moment. And as he was doing that, his faith was emboldened and he walked on the water. I mean, this is not hyperbole. A man defied the laws of gravity and walked on water. How? When he had his eyes in faith on Jesus Christ. But look what happens when doubt creeps in, doubt leads to fear, and fear quenches faith. Okay? So Peter saw the wind boisterous, and he was afraid... And he began to sink, and he cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, and notice this, this language here, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Wherefore didst thou doubt? So doubt can easily grow and lead to fear and quench faith. I want to give you a definition of doubt from Webster's 1828 dictionary to waver or to fluctuate in opinion, to hesitate, to be in suspense, to be in uncertainty, and to be undetermined. So to waver, to fluctuate. And, and what happens? Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus Christ. His faith is being just distracted from something other than Jesus Christ. And what's he focusing on? The same things that he is 
that he is conquering, that he's, that he's walking on the top of, is what he gets his eyes off of Jesus and begins to look on. And he then recognizes the reality of the situation and he gets terrified in his own nature. And what happens? He immediately begins to sink. But notice where it started. Jesus says, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? He takes his eyes off Jesus. He sees the severity of the storm. He sees the severity of the waves. And what does that begin? You begin to do. It creates a little bit of doubt. And that doubt very, very quickly. Boy, and doesn't this happen fast? <laughs> doubt leads to fear within a few split seconds. Within a few split seconds. I'll tell you, we have to bring every thought into captivity. A little bit of doubt leads to fear so quickly. And notice what happens when fear grows, when doubt grows. What happens? O thou of little faith. What happened in that previous sea storm occurrence? When fear grew, oh, oh, why is it that you have no faith, right? So their faith is being quenched because they're not controlling this natural fear. This doubt leads to fear, and then it quenches their faith. And what happens every time? What happens every time that our faith begins to be distracted from Jesus Christ, especially in the midst of the storm? You're always going to be in great peril and sink down when you take your eyes off Jesus Christ in faith. But boy, when you're in the midst of the storm of life, of medical illness, of unemployment, of the loss of a loved one, of the severe health problems of a loved one, if you take your eyes off Jesus Christ in the midst of these severe storms, oh, you're going to sink so fast. You're going to sink so fast. But you want to know what? Jesus Christ is not going to let you be fully consumed. What's he going to do? He's going to reach out and take your hand, right? When you begin to sink, when your faith wavers, when your faith becomes little, and even if it becomes no faith, Jesus Christ is going to take, put his hand out and he is going to help you along in the midst of that situation in spite of your lack of faith, okay? And then they bring Peter and Jesus back into the boat. And then when Jesus is in the boat, that's when the storm ceases and they are immediately at the destination, immediately at the location there on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that they intended to go to. Now, I want to look at Mark chapter 6 very quickly and just highlight the last verse here in this account, here in Mark chapter 6. He has went into the ship. He said, it is I, be not afraid. It, Mark's account and John's account kind of skip over Peter walking on the water. And then he went unto them into the ship and the wind ceased. As immediately, as he, immediately when Jesus got into the ship, the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. <laughs> you know, you would have never thought that these men had just seen the feeding of the 5,000 12 hours earlier, right? They were just amazed. How? How could this happen? Well, he, because he's the son of God, right? They had forgotten what they had just seen a little bit earlier. But notice this, verse 52. For they considered not 
the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Their heart was hardened. Now, there are some people in the New Testament that have been given a judicial blindness that's referenced among the Jewish people. But it says here, for their heart was hardened. And it kind of makes you wonder. And scripture doesn't really elaborate on that. Why was their heart hardened? I don't necessarily think Jesus just hardened their heart. I think that they hardened their own heart. You know, maybe they didn't receive that lesson that they should have been taught in the feeding of the 5,000 in the manner that they should have. Their heart was hardened. They should have been so emboldened to walk by faith in the midst of this account right after they witnessed the and participated in the feeding of the 5,000. But they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Why? For their heart was hardened. And I'll tell you, we can be just as hard-hearted sometimes to forget, to forget not just blessings in the past, but blessings in our immediate past, right? That have just happened the last few days or the last week. And boy, it, Satan always wants to attack you so heavily when you are in some of the greatest mountaintop experiences, right? We think about Elijah. We think about Elijah. He goes from the mountaintop of destroying all those false prophets, and a couple days later, Jezebel threatens him. He runs off, and he's under the juniper tree, and he said, Lord, take my life. It's not even worth living anymore. Just a couple days, right? Just a couple days after one of the greatest mountaintop experiences in his whole ministry, right? And our walk of discipleship can be very, very fragile because we're just like them. We're just like Elijah, right? We forget our heart is hardened and we forget things that should be the experiences that build hope and strengthen our faith, okay? So by way of closing, I'd like to go to uh, Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And again, we've considered the effect of doubt that begins to waver. We begin to question the faithfulness of God. And when that doubt grows to fear, we see in that earlier account, not that fear even made them question God's care for them. Lord, do you really even care? Are you going to let us perish? Okay. So doubt grows. It, it leads to this unnatural spirit of fear that quenches faith to where we have little faith, no faith, or a dead faith, at least in those moments of discipleship. But notice this, Matthew 21. Matthew 21, this is right after Jesus has commanded that fig tree that no fruit would grow on it and it withered. And, that, and he tells them here, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 21, neither I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, notice that, if you have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this, which is done to the fig tree, but ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Now, obviously, this is not the name and claimant application of this verse that's so prevalent in some sects of Christianity today. But as we are so prone to do, we don't want to dismiss the power of a verse 
just because somebody misinterprets that verse in a very unsound way, right? Don't miss the power of this, okay? Jesus says, if you have faith and doubt not, that tells me that doubt is a very dangerous thing to quench your faith, right? Doubt's going to grow into fear, and fear will diminish, possibly even quench faith to where you'll have little faith and no faith instead of great faith. Those two examples of great faith that we have in the Gospels. But notice, he contrasts faith here with doubt. If you have faith and doubt not, if you have faith and doubt not, he says in another place that you have faith just as a grain of mustard seed. You can say unto this mountain, be cast into the sea. Now, what I believe what he's saying there is Jesus, or God, has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's not saying you don't have any faith and you need to go get a mustard seed of faith. No, what he's saying is every one of you has the mustard seed of the faith of Jesus Christ residing inside of you. What's our problem? <laughs> our problem is doubt and fear, isn't it? Our problem is not powerfully working out what God's worked in because doubt and, doubt and fear will quench that faith. But you have that measure of faith. You have that mustard seed of faith residing inside of you to trust in Jesus Christ regardless of the situation. Now, obviously, we're not going to have super, supernatural powers to look at a national monument and say, move, but that's not what he's saying here. You, in your spiritual walk of discipleship, in the midst of all the tribulations of this world, and boy, everybody's different. Everybody has their own challenges, and it doesn't matter. Whatever that is specific to you, I'll tell you, if you're walking in faith, you can triumph over those and walk on that water that would overcome you. But I'll tell you, if you're not walking in faith, the, the lightest little sprinkle... <laughs> <laughs> the lightest little sprinkle will make you crumble, right? And there, there are, I don't want to spiritualize this too much, but there can be mountains in our life that if we trust in Jesus Christ, you can't do anything with that mountain. But guess what? Guess what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because I have the powerful faith of Jesus Christ residing inside of me, and I just don't need to doubt it. I need to let that power manifest itself in my daily walk of discipleship, right? So you have the measure of faith. You have that mustard seed of faith because Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of that faith. And what we have to do is we just have to trust Jesus, right? Oh, but what does Satan want us, want us to do? Satan wants to make us doubt, right? And that, that's what, I'll tell you, that was the original temptation back in the garden, wasn't it? He made them doubt God's word. He makes them doubt God's word. And then the doubting and God's word leads to sin. And what happened after they sinned? Now, all of a sudden, they're in the Garden of Eden. They are fearful in a way they used to be in perfect communion with Jesus Christ, right? So, Satan is always trying to get you to doubt the integrity, the faithfulness. And by the way, Satan is always trying to get you to doubt 
that Jesus really cares about you? Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? Does Jesus care when loved ones has passed? Does Jesus care? Satan wants to make you doubt that. What does the word of God do? It emboldens that faith to where doubt is quenched. You don't want doubt to quench your faith. You want faith to quench that doubt, right? So let's walk by faith and faith will quench doubt. Oh, but be very careful. Doubt and fear will also quench faith. And we, we never want to be found in the circumstance. We especially never want to be found in the midst of the storms of life of having little faith and no faith. Oh, because we're going to sink so quickly. We're going to sink so quickly. But even when we begin to sink, even when we begin to sink, aren't you glad our God's so good that he reaches out in spite of our lack of faith? Boy, that's a message I need to hear, isn't it? In spite of the circumstance where I have little faith and no faith, God's faithfulness to me is not based on my faithfulness back to him, right? In the midst of the circumstance where I have little faith and no faith, what does Jesus do? He reaches out and picks us up when we're beginning to sink. Why? Because it is I. He is the I am. And because he is the I am, we can be of good cheer. Because he is the I am, we can be of good cheer and don't be afraid. Don't doubt, but trust Jesus Christ by faith. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.